0: speaks of a couple of anxieties that can often plague us as Christians. One is an anxiety about our failures. Uh, We don't live up to what we think a Christian should. We don't do all the things a Christian should do, and there are things that we do that we think a Christian should not do, and the anxiety can unsettle us. Perhaps we're not the Christians we should be. And we recognize that with a a great sense of frustration. We try to be more spiritual, more prayerful, more holy, to try and think and and act with more love and less uh, self-centeredness. And yet often our efforts do not seem to get us very far. And we're disappointed with ourselves. And we get discouraged. The other anxiety is related to the first. And it is the fear that we might be missing something. Is there more to the Christian life than we've discovered? We, we meet other Christians. We perhaps hear a snapshot of their stories and they seem to have a level of experience of, of, of a God-centered life that we do not. And so the question comes, well, are we complete Christians? Am I living fully as a Christian as I should? Is there some secret that... Um, some have discovered and I've missed out on. And it's when those anxieties press in on us that we need to return to this part of God's word in Colossians chapter 2. And so please open your Bibles to page 1183. Page 1183. I'm going to read from Colossians chapter 2. We're going to focus on verses 8 to 15, but let's read from verse 6. It's remind minus of... How this section begins, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, page 1183 in the Red Bibles. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you've been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you are also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Paul gives an important warning to this young Christian church. It's there in verse 8. Don't be captured. Don't be captured. They've become Christians. They'd received Christ Jesus as Lord. They had been rescued from the dominion of darkness. They were growing in mat- maturity, but they needed to watch out. And we need to watch out as well. In our anxieties about our failures and our fear that we are missing out on something, we are susceptible to false teaching the false teaching of cults, and to worldly philosophies around us. We're not exactly sure what the threat was particularly in Colossae, but today there are many other alternatives and additions to Jesus Christ that are being offered, often by very nice people uh, living moral and positive lives. You'll see them standing uh, quietly on the streets offering magazines from the watchtower and from the Jehovah Witness materials. Or you'll see young people with badges that with, say that they're elders from the Latter-day Saints of Christ Jesus. Sometimes it can be super-spiritual Christians who obsessively talk about spiritual warfare against the devil and evil forces, who seem to have lots of uh, personal revelations from God and who make incredible claims of ecstatic... Visions and uh, claims of new power in their life and new freedom in their life. There are other groups who seek to isolate their members um, and create exclusive churches where people's lives are tightly controlled by a leader with lots of legalistic rules uh, where they sort of spell out exactly what holiness is supposed to look like, where the opinions of the leaders are almost put at the same level as the Bible. And if you seek to oppose them, well, you're shunned and you're separated even from family. And there are people who are almost brainwashed out of fear of these things into accepting whatever people say. There are lots of different forms of this out there right now in the world today. And so we must watch out, says Paul to the Colossians. See to it that no one takes you captive. These nice, impressive people are spiritual kidnappers. That's what Paul calls them. They're kidnappers who will drag you away from Jesus Christ. They will drag you away from God and from this gospel of grace. And they'll try to kidnap you with teachings that claim to offer you the missing secret to transform your Christian life. They have more revelation. They have a fuller gospel. They offer a way to be a really serious Christian, to offer a special holiness that will make you one of the special ones with special access to God. But Paul describes it with acid clarity in verse 8. All they're offering you is hollow. It's empty. It's deceptive. It depends on human tradition. It plays on elemental fears of spiritual power, which is one way of translating it, or as the NIV translated here, as, as the basic principles of this world. But the point is, it's based on all this tradition of humans, it's not based on Christ. And the best antidote to keep us safe from spiritual kidnappers and their empty promises is to realize that you're complete in Christ. And that's what he speaks of in verses 9 to 15. How when you come to Christ and put your faith in Christ, you are complete in him. This is the best protection against uh, the false teaching of uh, cults and other strange ideas that are out there. And he spells out three important truths about Jesus Christ. Firstly, all God's fullness is in Christ. This would be a great text for a Christmas sermon. Verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. If you start reading from the beginning of your Bible, you'll see the way that God expresses his willingness to dwell in different places. He he says he, he will come and meet with his people in Sinai. He allows his glory to dwell on Mount Sinai as he speaks the ten words, the ten commandments to the redeemed people who came out of Egypt. On that mountain, he gives them instructions about building this special tent called the tabernacle. And he says that he, when you build that tent, my glory will dwell with you. And his glory was pleased to come down into that tabernacle tent which prefigured the temple that was eventually built on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. And there was a moment when they completed the temple and His glory was pleased to dwell in that. But none of that compares with the incredible event of the first Christmas where all God's glory was pleased to dwell in a person, in a baby, growing inside Mary who was born, Jesus. And what this verse is telling us is, is what John spells out in his opening prologue. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is the testimony of the eyewitness of, uh, of John, his disciple. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth. And notice in verse 9 the word all. In Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives. And that's speaks of the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. All of God is in him. And so, here's an implication. God will not be found outside of him. No other religion, no other philosophy can teach you more about God. Any religion or philosophy that denies that Jesus is fully divine is empty and deceptive philosophy. That's true of Islam that came across later that taught that Jesus is merely a prophet. Paul is quite clear, if you move away from Jesus Christ, you're being taken away from God himself. You know, the prime way to spot a cult is to see what they teach about Jesus. The Jehovah Witnesses deny the full deity of Jesus Christ. They merely see him as the first created being, a divine agent who made the rest of creation. Mormons teach that uh, you can all become gods. Certainly the men can. Uh, That Jesus is not really unique. He started as a man and evolved into a divine being. And so can you if you follow the Mormon teachings and rituals. But Paul says um, all of God's fullness is in Christ. The second bit of doctrine is to understand that you're complete in him. First part of verse 10. And you've been given fullness in Christ. When we receive Christ Jesus, Lord, here's the wonderful truth. We receive everything we need as Christian people. The must-have game this Christmas is called Battlefront. It's a Star Wars game. It may have appeared in our house. And it's, uh, it's quite good. But um, we discovered that when you buy the game... You only get a basic form of the game. And actually, if you want uh, even more of the game, you have to pay a little bit more money, a subscription fee. And this unlocks new levels and new powers and and new bits of the map, and and you get a fuller thing. Well, here's the wonderful thing about Christianity. It's not like the battlefront game. When you put your trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, you get the complete package. There's no extras that you have to... um, gain by some weird extra rituals or wearing special clothes or special practices that enable you to get to some extra hidden things that take you to a new extra level. When you have Christ, you've got the lot. Isn't that wonderful? You've got the lot. Don't be taken in by any ideas that would move you away from Christ or further on from Christ. Beware of any group that says anything like that. As soon as you swallow their lie, you're not becoming more complete, you're losing out. Third truth, second half of verse 10, Christ rules over every power. Who is the head over every power and authority? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead declared... Uh, Not only that he had conquered death and that he is the king who rules over God's everlasting kingdom. In his death and resurrection, he conquered sin and Satan. Jesus Christ is now over all earthly spiritual power and authority. At the center of the universe is, is not some impersonal Star Wars force equally balancing good and evil. In a constant sort of struggle. No, there is not not an impersonal force. There is a person, Jesus Christ, who is head over all power and all authority. And so, any view that sees evil spiritual force, uh, forces thwarting god's purposes or blocking our access to god and somehow promises some special technique that you can cut through these spiritual forces and somehow get past them to god well they're all hollow and deceptive teachings and philosophies and so these three important doctrines about christ will protect us if we grasp them all good's fullness is in christ you're complete in him and christ rules over every power this is such a brilliant section, but we really don't have a lot of time. So we're going to whip through the way that Paul drives home those, those particular doctrines to the believers in Colossae because he says three things to them. If, if, if they grasp this in their experience, then they would, be, they would no longer be susceptible to spiritual kidnap. So we're going to fly through these things because we just don't have the time this morning. But first thing he says in verses 11 to 13, you're already circumcised and alive. Verse 11, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God. Who raised him from the dead when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh God made you alive with Christ. Now why all this talk about circumcision? Well, as you read the New Testament, you'll see that uh, no sooner had Paul sort of founded a church, having preached the gospel, a church was formed, he'd head off somewhere else, there would be some sneaky guys who'd come behind him, and they would kind of weasel their way up to these churches, and they would say to these uh, Gentile Christians, now it's great that you're following our Jewish Messiah, but if you really want to be a serious Christian, you need to f- uh, o- obey the Jewish rituals of circumcision. You need to obey the Jewish food laws and then you will be a proper, proper Christian. Now we don't know specifically if that was the issue in Colossae but Paul wants to make sure that they're not suckered in to that. And so he says to them, remember you're completing Christ. Remember that you're already circumcised spiritually. There's no need to submit to physical circumcision. Something far more significant than physical circumcision has taken place for them. In Christ, their whole sinful former selves had died and they'd been buried in the death and burial of Jesus Christ. And what's more, when they trusted Christ, they were made spiritually alive in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What had happened to Jesus had happened to them by faith. Truly their old way of life apart from Christ was dead and buried. And that's what we're going to see symbolized in the baptisms in a moment. We've put them under the water, saying their old life was buried with Christ. And and a small surgical procedure for the men would not make them any more spiritually alive with Christ than they are now that they've trusted Christ. And so we bring them up out of the water to say, look, they're new life. They're raised with Christ. And when we realize that we are spiritually alive with Christ, then we're not going to be fooled into thinking there's some extra ritual that we must submit to, that there's some special rite that we have to do in order to move into some vital spiritual life. There's no need for a Mormon baptism or a confessional or last rites. So there's no need for a second stage baptism in the Spirit or an emotional meeting where I fall down. No, God made you alive with Christ. Secondly, it says not only are you are already circumcised, but you're already forgiven. Look at verse 13 again, the end of it. He forgave us all our sins. Having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the the cross. Notice again the word all in verse 13. Have only some of my sins been forgiven? No. All of them. All of them. He forgave us all our sins. How? How? Well, our debt was cancelled, taken away, nailed to the cross of Christ. Consider that we had a book here of your indebtedness to God as someone who's dead in your trespasses or in your alienation, doing evil. or we had a, a video of all your deeds. It's probably not something you'd want to post on Facebook. It's not a book you probably want to publish. Well, what has happened to that? Well, here's the glorious thing. When well, we put our trust in Christ, it's forgiven, it's cancelled, it's obliterated. That's the language here. That, that, that document, there's only one copy and, it, and it's been incinerated. There's nothing left. That file has been deleted and there's no way of retrieving it. That's the truth for all who've come to put their trust in Christ. We can ask God to forgive us. On the basis of Christ's death upon the cross. There's nothing more that we have to do but be thankful. There's no extra moral attainment we must achieve to gain more forgiveness. We cannot make ourselves more forgiven than all our sins being forgiven. There's nothing more left to do. Isn't that glorious? He forgave us all our sins. I was frightened of stretching my jacket. Let's go for it. Oh! That's as far as I can reach. Thirdly, you're already free. Verse 15. We're not, as I say, exactly sure what the philosophy was in Colossae. It was a culture that was very focused on magic, fears over spiritual powers. Peter O'Brien in his commentary wonders if people were teaching that there were these powers that came in between god and man like a buffer and that these teachers were promising and ways to negotiate these powers in order to get into the presence of god it was a sort of a fight you had to get through some process to get there but there's no need to be suckered into such false thinking here's what the cross of christ has achieved verse 15 evil spiritual powers and authorities were disarmed held in derision and totally defeated Here's the irony of the cross is that they're stripped and nailed, seemingly helpless and defeated was the very place that Jesus totally triumphed. He canceled all our debt so that full forgiveness was made possible, so that the devil and his forces no longer have any power to accuse those who've trusted Christ. The devil and his angels are a joke in the light of the cross of Christ. No more to be feared by those who have trusted Christ. See, when we're anxious about the inadequacies of our Christian lives, what should we do? Don't Stop looking at your life and look to Christ. Look to Him. Consider who He is and what He has done. Look again to the cross and the empty tomb. In Him we have everything we need. In Him, you are complete. So don't be captured by anything that would take you away from this Christ. Let's stand and rejoice in that truth by singing this. Hy-